It is February 14th, and it's Oregon's birthday. It is February 14th, 1806, and on the Oregon coast, Captain William Clark writes. Dwyer visited his traps, etc., today, and caught a fine fat beaver on which we feasted this evening, and thought it a great delicacy. This is some kick-ass Oregon history. I want your whales to explode all over my face. Oh my God, Oregon! Oh my God! Oh, Oregon, you're so big. That's the spot, Oregon. That's the spot. We love Oregon so much that we just had an orgasm all over your ear holes. Oh, Oregon! Let's do that one more time. This is some kick-ass Oregon history. Welcome to another installment of Kick-Ass Oregon History, a survey created by the geeked-out history folks at orhistory.com. I'm your host, Andy Lindbergh, and under the guidance of resident historian Doug Kank Crispin, we profile only the most badass, captivating Oregon stories. It's all Oregon sex, drugs, rock and roll, and earth-shattering, devastating destruction. Basically, the good stuff. This year, to celebrate Oregon's birthday, we're taking a close look at Oregon's beaver. To claim the beaver as their state animal, the Oregonian, January 1943. Ladies and gentlemen, a true Oregon hero, Eugene Buckland. <laughs> Gather round, Oregonians! Gather round, and let me tell you the story of our state animal, Castor Canadensis, or the Beaver. A long, long time ago, in 1967 to be exact, the charming villagers of Springfield, Oregon, wanted to turn an empty piece of ground into a park, Beaver Park. To consecrate the ground, a nine-foot-tall beaver carved from a redwood log was to be erected. But an examination of state records yielded a curious finds about our state symbols. You see, Oregon adopted a state seal in 1857. The state flag was approved in 1859. A state flowers was added, the Oregon grapes, in 1899, and a charming little songbird I call the Western Meadowlark came along in 1927. The Douglas fir was granted a thumbs up in 
and both a father, Dr. John McLaughlin, and a motto were added in 1957. State colors were granted in 1959, and a fish, being the Chinook salmon, was added in 1961. Why, Oregon even had a state rock, Thunder Egg, which was commemorated in 1965. But alas, a shocking discovery was made. Oregon had no official state animal. Needless to say, this unearthing caused quite a stir within the state. We can only imagine the governor's response to finding out that the beaver was not the official state animal. Westerdahl, are you crazy? Are you out of your goddamn mind? State archivist David Dunaway looked into the matter and confirmed this horrific omission. Dunaway noted that except for the presence on the back of the state flag, the beaver had never been bestowed with official state status. It was essentially a 100-year oversight, and a bit fucking awkward to boot. Governor Tom McCall and Secretary of State Clay Myers essentially told the 1969 legislature to get that shit done. House Bill 1 and Senate Bill 1 were both quickly introduced. This, one would anticipate, will be a non-controversial piece of legislation that should pass promptly with full bipartisan backing. And not too much debate, one hopes. Oregon doesn't want to advertise its sloppy record-keeping to the world. The Oregonian, 1968 even the actual words in the Senate resolution address that sad, sad omission. Whereas in inadvertent oversight, neither that body nor any of its predecessors or successors took occasion to enact legislation recognizing the importance of the beaver to history and to the economy of this state in any other way. And... Whereas this 55th Legislative Assembly desires to remedy the aforementioned oversight and to welcome the beaver to the family of official symbols representative of the state of Oregon. There was some small drama during the legislative debate, but nearly all of it relating to a squabble between the University of Oregon and Oregon State University alums, with the Ducks having a brief chance to overturn the officialdom of their rabid rival's rodent. Thankfully, the legislation was quickly passed. The beaver's penis contains the cartilaginous baculum or as Nana always called it, penis bone. The beaver state has had to share the beaver's officialness with other political bodies. Oh yes, it would seem that beaver is quite recognized around our continent. In April of 1975, the Canadian federal government voted to make the beaver a national symbol. And on August 9th, 1975, New York State Governor Hugh Carey signed legislation making that state's official animal the beaver. 
the beaver is indigenous to New York State and is admired for its qualities of quiet industriousness and perseverance. But is that admiration always such a good thing? history has largely been one of being trapped, skinned, and worn as a hat, maybe anonymity is the best policy. A beaver's intestine is quite long, about six times the length of the beast. The adult North American beaver can weigh between 40 and 50 pounds. That's a lot of beaver! In 1760, the Parisian College of Physicians and the Faculty of Divinity allowed beaver meat on fasting days. They stated that the beaver's scaly tail classified it as a fish and not a mammal. <laughs> Those wacky Frenchmen, what will they think of next in the past? Few animals, large and small, are less suited to photography than the beaver. To begin, they are rather shapeless, with inconspicuous legs, no pattern in the way of coloring, and what makes that work doubly difficult and unsatisfactory is that they are so seldomly seen by daylight. Add to this the fact that they are usually wet and very shy, and it will be easily understood that the task of securing really good photographs is not easy. I may even say that in all my experience of hunting with the camera, no animals have ever given me so much trouble. The best pictures I have ever obtained of lions and other big and dangerous beasts were secured with less difficulty than even the worst of my beaver studies. The Beaver has always been an animal in grave danger. With such a luxurious coat, the beaver was a marked mammal. Even early explorers of the New World, in this case the Jesuits who were in Canada, expressed concern for the eventual fate of the beaver. In 1634, a Jesuit wrote, We shall be able to instruct the Indians easily and the beaver will greatly multiply. These animals are more prolific than our sheep in France, the female bearing as many as five or six each year. But when the savages find a lodge of them, they kill them all, great and small, male and female. There is danger that they will finally exterminate the species in the Three Rivers region, as has happened among the Hurons who have not a single beaver going elsewhere to buy the skins they bring to the storehouse of these gentlemen. Even in the 1630s, something akin to conservation and resource management was being entertained. One of the brothers, Father Lejeune, wrote two years later that, In time, parks can be made in which to keep the beaver. These would be treasure houses, besides furnishing us with meat at all times. The 
much like a hippopotamus or an alligator, the beaver's sensory organs have a raid in a row. So Mr. and Mrs. Beaver can swim with eyes, ears, and nostrils above water while the rest of the body and head are submerged. Oregon was founded on trapping beaver. If you don't know about that, well, you should. You can listen to one of our Fort Vancouver podcasts, When Oregon Was British, and that'll fill you in a little bit. Fueled by a desire for fancy hats, the beaver were extensively trapped throughout the Pacific Northwest in the early pink people days of Oregon's history. In 1834 alone, the Hudson's Bay Company at Fort Vancouver collected over 98,000 beaver pelts. And killing as many beaver as possible has been a strategy of the Honorable Company for quite some time. As Governor Simpson, Dr. John McLaughlin's boss, wrote in 1824, If properly managed, no question exists that it would yield handsome profits, and we have convincing proof that the country is a rich preserve of beaver, and which, for political reasons, we should endeavor to destroy as fast as possible. He fells trees up to four feet in diameter, lunches on the bark of fruit trees, undermines dikes, plugs tidal canals, dams irrigation ditches and streams, and floods farmland. His pestiferous projects, carried out with a relentless enthusiasm, are legion. In a phrase, being eager doesn't pay off for the beaver. Some male beavers have what's known as a vestial uterus, and that's a fact. state legislature realized that the beaver state might soon be without beavers. Extensive trapping had made the beast nearly extinct. They passed a law prohibiting the hunting of beaver. They followed some specific restrictions on beaver hunting that had been enforced six years earlier in Baker and Maller counties. But that resilient rodent was a busy beaver. Mr. Bieber put his cartilaginous baculum to work, and soon the beaver population was on the rise. Damaging orchards, screwing the irrigation works, destroying dikes, just being a general pain in the ass. Oh, and fucking. A lot. Benton and Marion counties relaxed their beaver restrictions, and by 1923 you could trap them all over the goddamn place. 12,000 beavers were taken that season, and so started the vicious cycle again. Overhunting led to a threatened community. Limits were rolled back only to have the beaver population explode once again. Hunting and trapping would be reintroduced, and so on and so on. When Oregon's governor John Hall in 1948 went looking for a stuffed taxidermied beaver for a state function, he found there wasn't one. The beaver-loving governor was shocked that there wasn't a single stuffed beaver available for state functions and suggested 
that there should be a stuffed beaver on hand, which got the resident historian a wondering. Had we actually learned from our past? No, we hadn't. History has repeated itself again. An inquiry at the State Archive in Salem yielded nary a physical dead beaver, and an inquiry into Governor Kitzhaber's office revealed that that office too is stuffed beaver free. And that, dear ass kickers, is a goddamn shame. Beaver milk is quite rich, containing about 19% fat. Mmm. Captain Clark saw a curlew today. There were three beaver taken this morning by the party. The men prefer the flesh of this animal to that of any other which we have and are able to procure at this moment. I eat very heartily of the beaver myself and think it excellent, particularly the tail and liver. Captain Meriwether Lewis, April 7th, 1805. Of course, hardier souls can add a little to the take by eating the beaver tail and all. In fact, beaver tail was at one time regarded as a delicacy among trappers. A recipe supplied by the Oregonian's Nancy Morris for the preparation of beaver and its tail precludes, however, widespread table popularity of the animal. The recipe especially the part concerning the tail, is hopelessly complex. The Oregonian, 1951. Kick-Ass Oregon History elicited the assistance of food historian Heather Arndt Anderson to help in finding Nancy Morris's suggested technique. But sadly, she was unsuccessful. Arndt Anderson did locate a 1964 recipe for beaver tail from the joy of cooking that she thought might be considered. It read, Beaver tail. Hold over open flame until rough skin blisters. Remove from heat. When cool, peel off skin. Roast over coals or simmer until tender. Yum. Not all beaver-eating locals preferred this method. As Peter Skeen Ogden wrote while on his journey in the snake country, On giving the Indians some beaver meat, I was rather surprised to see them devour it raw, and they informed us they were always in the habit of eating it this way and did them no injury. Far different is the opinion of my party in regard to the flesh of beaver. It requires to be uncommonly well cooked. More so with the exception of bear's flesh than with any other food. And if the natives do not cook it, it is certainly not for want of means, as they can, if so inclined, roast. And although they have no kettles, they have excellent substitutes, but prefer doubt from taste to eat it raw and by this mode nothing is lost blood and fat is well preserved the native folks and early pink trappers 
did live off beaver, often out of necessity, but some of the animal's flesh was tainted with the toxins from water hemlock, which some beavers would eat, and these poisons could be passed on to the human consuming the rodent. It was a common occurrence in the early explorers to the region, again from Peter Skeen Ogden's journals. March 24th, 1826. It is with some difficulty we could collect a sufficiency to cook our food. No want of wild hemlock here and some dread of being ill, the beaver have certainly a strange taste, different from any I have ever eaten. Sunday, May 7, 1826. Three of our party are seriously ill, attributed to beaver meat, which from the scarcity of wood on the banks of the river and quantity of wild hemlock on which we have convincing proofs they subsist on, I have no cause to doubt occasions for their illness. They were all seized nearly in a similar manner by violent pains in their head and limbs. One in particular suffered most excruciating pains and at times almost despaired of his life. By the assistance of Pepper, towards evening they recovered the use of their limbs, but still remained Skeen Ogden took an almost scientific interest in the malady. Listen to his entry from a few days later. Thursday, May 11th, 1826. Four more of the men were again violently seized with illness this day, and so great was their sufferings that they lay in the road and it was night ere they reached the encampment. With the exception of seven, the whole camp has been ill, and although they have eat of the same beaver, they have not been affected by it. This is rather strange, but what is one man's meat is poison to another is certainly the case here. I gave it a trial myself, but have escaped, and although all have been ill and appear to suffer greatly, still I cannot but regret that I have escaped. On examining the meat of the beaver, the only difference I could observe in the flesh being a redder colour and more oily. In point of taste, not the slightest difference. So, just be careful the next time you decide to blister up some beaver tail for sandwiches, dear ass-kickers. You be careful out there. The beaver can swim up to 4.3 miles per hour, with the mean speed being clocked in at 2 feet a second. He'll get you! We had a chance to head down to Salem and chat about beaver with Thomas Stahl, program manager at the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife. Uh, this is resident historian Doug Kent Crispin, and I am in Salem at the Oregon Department of Fish and Wildlife building, and uh, has a beautiful lobby with all the awesome animals out front and fish hanging on the wall. And I'm talking to Tom Stahl, who's the Conservation and Recovery Program Manager here. And uh, thanks very much for joining us today, Tom. Happy to be here. And so tell us, you know, how does your job intersect with uh, the furry little rodents? What, what do you do with beaver? So um, I work with a group of people in the agency who are really interested in conserving Oregon's native fish. We develop plans, um, we implement them to make sure we have fish around into the future for Oregonians to use. 
Um, and uh, so beaver can play an important role in doing that. Now, we, we talked a little bit on the phone before it came down about, you know, kind of this, this dichotomy uh, with the state of the beaver in Oregon. It's, he's seen as a threat or a nuisance to the farmers a lot of the times. Yeah, there really are two opposing management um, um, objectives for beaver. On the one hand, um, there's there are pushes to remove them in places where they're having um, impacts on infrastructure, cause flooding, um, they're chewing down vegetation that, that people don't want chewed down. So there's the ability to remove them. Um, there's also trapping to remove them for their pelts. So on the one hand, you got removal. On the other hand, they're a really important tool for restoring um, habitat that's going to benefit fish and other animals. And specifically, you were telling me about uh, coho salmon, you know, that, are, that benefit off of uh, some of that beaver habitat preservation restoration. Can you talk a little bit about that specifically? Sure. When, when beaver move up into um, smaller streams that they're able to build dams across, um, they pond up the streams and that provides some really great habitat for coho, juvenile coho to um, rear in, grow, get bigger before they go out to the ocean. Um, it's refuge during the winter from high flows so they don't just get pushed downstream where they're not able to survive. Uh, it's refuge during the summer from hot temperatures in the water. Uh, it provides ref refuge from predators that are going to eat them. Um, beaver do not eat fish. Uh, they are not a predator. Um, let's see, and it also provides forage for them to eat. So a lot of things grow in beaver ponds that, that small fish can eat and grow on. So really provides some good rearing habitat out there and refuge habitat for, for coho and other fish like steelhead, cutthroat, trout. So when you look at the state of the beaver in the beaver state, how, how do you see things in, in, in our present era? Well, I see it as, again, really two different objectives. But I think we're trying to make some efforts to bridge that gap. Um, and there's this, um, the, the agency ODFW has um, started, oh, I think in about 2008, started a beaver work group to bring people from different interests around beaver together. So that's trappers and people associated with forest and ag industries. Uh, as well as the conservation side of things and the habitat restoration to, and researchers um, and different management agencies bring those together um, to talk about information and research that can be used to um, try to bridge that gap, uh, understand what public opinion is out there regarding beaver and our ability to move them from one place where they're not wanted to another place where they might be acceptable. Um, and we're really trying to uh, understand people's attitudes um, better and the potential for restoration. So we're trying to bridge that gap um, and I, I see it a lot as an educational um, need to, for people to better understand the benefits beaver can provide. They're not just providing benefits for fish, there can be benefits for landowners as well. Um, and the, I think that's part of the things that aren't seen as well. What are some of the benefits for landowners? 
So one, one thing is they can um, keep the water table higher. So if you have a stream that's just kind of become channelized and water just flows out through it, it can down cut and water can get lower in the ground so it's harder to, for say a, a farmer to find the water that had always been there and to, to water the crops. Uh, if you have beaver in there, they build their dam, they keep the water up at a higher level and there's more water to irrigate around. So that's one thing. It can also, um, beaver also can, are, are probably, hopefully going to play a role in mitigating some of the effects of climate change in the future um, by being able to store water. It'll have, um, you know, some of the effects of uh, climate change are f more flashiness in Oregon, so stronger uh, rain events um, at some times, um, and beaver ponds will be able to reduce some of that flashiness, hold some of that water so it doesn't have uh, downstream effects such as soil erosion and, and it'll hold the water in the system longer so throughout the summer when there's less rain there'll be more water around. Um, it's also going to be a temperature, it's going to um, probably have a, some temperature buffering uh, effects in the, in the watershed. So let's say you had to make the call in the late 1960s. Do you think the beaver is an appropriate state symbol, is an appropriate state animal? You know, I, I think it was between beavers and ducks, right? Well, that's what some folks said. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there were a couple others that were, that were being considered, but yeah. let's go with that. Okay, well, you know, ducks are flashy and colorful, but beavers are certainly uh, industrious and they have those strong teeth that help, help build things, so I'm going to go with the beavers. Right on. Thanks so much, Tom. I really appreciate you chatting with us today. Yeah, sure. No problem. Thank you for having me. At Kick-Ass Oregon History, Andy and I fucking love beaver. Each year, we do a special edition podcast for Oregon's birthday, which we call Oregasm. It's usually just silly stories from Oregon's past. But when I saw that the beaver had been neglected from officialness for so many decades, for over 100 years, well, I knew we had to talk about that. But honestly, even if the mistake of our forgetful, neglectful, and sloppy with the records forefathers hadn't been corrected, even if McCall hadn't freaked the fuck out and prodded the legislature into action, even if the beaver had never been awarded officialness, even if none of that had happened, no matter which way recognition had fallen, we would still be the beaver state. Because beavers are so fucking groovy. Thank you for listening, Ass Kickers. And be on the lookout for future podcasts from ORHistory.com. We hope that you agree that today's episode featured some kick-ass Oregon history. Today's podcast was written, recorded, edited, and produced by Doug Kank Crispin and Andy Lindbergh. Citations are available on request. Kick-ass Oregon history is on Twitter at Oregon underscore history. Follow us on Instagram at kick-ass Oregon history. We're also on the Facebook 
The email address is OregonHistorian at gmail.com. Want more kick-ass Oregon history in your life? Become a podcast supporter. Learn more at orhistory.com. Just don't get too close to Mr. Kent Crispin. Much like a hippopotamus or an alligator, his sensory organs are all arrayed in a row. You stay historic, Oregon, and kick ass. Now it's the out of New Orleans, and he travel with the carnival shows. Ramp up cars, suck cheap cigars, and he candied up his nose. He got wind of the big brown beaver, so he thought he'd dig himself a peek. But the beaver was quick, and he grabbed him by the kiwis, and he ate his boy. Happy birthday, Oregon, from me, your biggest fan, Eugene Buckland, and kick-ass Oregon history. There was a swear in their name. <laughs> Don't tell mom or she won't give me beaver milk. I'm wearing beaver underpants right now. They keep me warm, and they're slick when I take baths. Do you know that beavers can be your friend? Even if they're stuffed, I myself have four beavers. One is called Lorraine, one is called Ruby Tuesday, and the other two are called Gretchen. Gretchen 1 is sort of old and shedding, and Gretchen 2 is beautiful and wears the finest taffeta. You know that my mom's a nurse? It is true. Sometimes I will just stay up all night with my beaver friends and we will talk about things, and I will learn them facts. And we get on the internet and we learn facts like this. Like they didn't know they had vestigial uterus or uteri if it's just one. Gretchen sometimes doesn't like when I tell her the facts about her species. I think she thinks she's human, but she's not. She's just a stuffed beaver. OrHistory.com